Hey guys, I just want to stick a little message in here before we get started on the episode. What this is, is a revival of a series that I was doing most of the way through COVID called NXT Rewind. I was going to go back and look at all the old takeovers from the old good NXT. I recorded five and I only ended up uploading four and I found this in my archive. As I say, it's been recorded about a year ago. I've tried to clear up the audio a little bit because the audio on the other ones wasn't so great. I'm putting this out here now to you guys with a general question. Do you want me to continue? Because in this series there is Arrival, Takeover, Fatal 4-Way, our evolution and now this one which is NXT TakeOver Rivals. So this will be the fifth episode and we're still in the full sale era of TakeOver. Um, if you do want to see more of these I am thinking about bringing the series back because I'd like to have some fun with it because NXT pretty much sucks right now. Let me know down in the comment section below or if you're listening to this on an audio platform please let me know on Twitter at SpazPhoenix. I'd love your feedback. Enjoy the podcast. We got a great title match, a great number one contenders match, and a great platform for the best and worst thing to ever come out of NXT. It's another episode of NXT Rewind. This time we're looking at NXT TakeOver Rival. Let's talk about it. What's going on, everybody? It's your buddy, it's your pal, Spass Phoenix, the YWC Reality Check. And yes, indeed, this is another episode of NXT Rewind. We're looking at NXT TakeOver Rival. We're going back to Wednesday, February 11th, 2015. We've made it on to year two now. This is really, really good. But we are still in Full Sail University. We are still in Winter Park, Florida. And we still have the Wikipedia weird 400-plus in attendance commentary has Rich Brennan, Corey Graves, and Albert, and that's the nice little setup we get going into it. It is still an elevated episode of NXT, as I would call it now, as I would call, um, I've mentioned it before, but I need to, uh, I need to sort of re-explain this for anybody that's hearing me say this for the first time, because this is still a new series, and I can't guarantee that everybody has seen the previous episodes, but please go do see the previous episodes. I believe this is episode five, meaning if you follow your math, there's four other episodes you can check out before this one. I don't know when this is going to go out. Right now, currently, it's June 5th, which is why my hair still has its own zip code. We are still deep in the COVID era as I, as I record this, so, uh, Whenever this goes out, hopefully by the time this goes out, I have a proper haircut again, which for me is a shaved head, and I'm sure a bunch of people will have a bunch of things to say about that, but it is an elevated episode of NXT. We still have the generic weekly NXT music. We've moved from Thursday to Wednesday, which shows you the progression of that. I mean, the, the move to Wednesday, or the first takeover, um, I don't know why I'm doing the tight air quotes, because it is a takeover, but the first elevated uh, thing to be on a Wednesday is really, really funny to look back on now, as we've just recently come to the end of the Wednesday Night War, with NXT now being on Tuesdays as I'm recording this, and AEW Dynamite being when whatever night TNT <laughs> tells them to be on, I'm a dick, I'm sorry. The video package is a pretty generic, like, we're NXT and aren't we great video package. They have uh, video footage of the fans in the arena, but also of a lot of the, um, if you remember the uh, the initial uh, NXT takeovers, um, during the pre-shows, they would often go out into the crowd, out into the parking lot, because there'd be a whole, like, tailgate atmosphere, and they did capture a lot of that, because A, it was a lot of fun, but B, also, it's great for 
hey, we're NXT and aren't we great? Uh, we see we have a lot of voiceover from a lot of main roster folks, most notably Paul Heyman talking about how great NXT is. And uh, it's interspersed with clips from Twitter and people and fans talking about NXT. And then it transitions into hype for tonight's card, which I'm not going to lie, doesn't need a lot of hype, if I'm honest. Um, but it's sort of, I don't, I don't know what to say, because we go into that that weekly package, that weekly, um, I, I still think, I still, to the best of my knowledge, the song is called Coming For Ya. If somebody knows what it was called, the original NXT weekly intro theme, to go from a takeover hype package to the intro to the weekly show is still a bit jarring, but we get we're, we get really quickly, quickly past the jarring thing into a great first match, which is, which is Hideo Itami versus Tyler Breeze. Hideo Itami basically still new to the brand, only been around a couple of months. Tyler Breeze is already showing that he is probably not going to be champion, but he is one of the better mechanics in the company, on the brand specifically, and as we see uh, today, looking back on it with hindsight, we see how he went to the main roster, filled a good comedy spot there, came back to NXT with Fandango to be a great mechanic and make a lot of other people look great, sp specifically in the tag team division. So it is, uh, I will say, the one thing that I love about doing this is there's a lot of hindsight, because a lot of this is, oh my god, how did they fuck up that guy? Oh my god, how did they fuck up that guy? You know, you see, on a grander scale, you see somebody like a Finn Balor, who reached great heights in NXT, went to main roster, they made him Smiley Finn, and then he came back and became uh, became the prince and held the title again and did all kinds of cool shit. So the hindsight of this isn't always bad, but um, to see where Tyler Breeze is now and where he is here, he did everything in this to make Hideo... Like, Hideo Itami doesn't need help. Don't get me wrong. Don't misplace what I'm saying here. Hideo Itami is great. He comes out looking a bit like Scorpion, and if you hate me for saying that, then you're just lying. Um, but it's fine. I loved his entrance music. I loved his entrance, uh, the entrance attire, the whole bit, because it did have a little bit of that, you know, supernatural superhero uh, fighter thing. And yes, because he does the whole martial arts thing, that definitely fits. But Tyler Breeze being the goofball, being the guy that you love to hate, even though there's a whole lot of Breeze is gorgeous chance going on throughout this match, he is the perfect foil for the Hideo Tommy character, and obviously Hideo Tommy was the one on the rise at this particular moment. Uh, Tyler Breeze was the guy, I told you guys in the last episode that I did like this, that had that thousand mile stare that made you forget you were in full sail, but also he's got the, the, the fuzzy selfie stick where you want to say, what the fuck is this guy doing? It's a great little combination of things. Now, there's not much story here. I will say, this episode is not going to have too much how did we get here. I know I've been trying to establish that over the past few episodes of... Uh, of the NXT Rewind, but there's not a whole lot. The The Wikipedia, which is what I lean on, I'll be perfectly honest with you, I'll be straight with you guys, uh, I lean on Wikipedia. The Wikipedia for this show is pretty fucking thin. I mean, we, it, um... When we get to the main event, which is obviously Sami Zayn versus Kevin Owens, obviously there's there's more to chew on there, but for the rest of it, you kind of got to go by the video packages, kind of got to go by what the commentators say. I don't have an opportunity to write myself a whole lot of preamble before the matches on this card, because everything in the first half of this show is based around this number one contenders tournament that we're going to talk about later on, including this match. Now, what happened in the tournament between these two guys was uh, Hideo Itami beat Tyler Breeze in the first round and then went on to be defeated by Finn Balor in the second round, and Tyler Breeze, it doesn't really make sense. It makes sense from a cocky heel point of view, or a, a cocky, like, oh my god, I feel left out, I need to get some more attention on me point of view. Atami beat Breeze, so Breeze was out. Atami then got beat by Finn Balor, 
and Breeze comes and attacks Atami for wasting that slot because he could have beat Balor, but Balor beat Atami, and Atami beat you, so it doesn't really make any sense. I will say also, during the entrance for uh, Tyler Breeze, and he's got the selfie stick, and he's got the... The, the male diva thing going on. There is a woman that runs from the crowd and jumps on his back and tries to... Well, there's, there's no other way to say it. She kind of tries to mid-air hump his back. <laughs> now, I really don't want to think that this was an actual run-in because we've had, we've had uh, issues like that, specifically with the Shield. If you go back and look at uh, the Shield and what happened to some of those guys when, uh, when they were making their entrance through the crowd and some of the stuff that fans tried to do and, and, you know, look at Bret Hart at the Hall of Fame, you know, you don't really want to make light of that, so I won't. But at the same time, if it wasn't real, then it was fake. And in a world where that stuff is happening, you don't want to encourage that in the storyline. It's like people have always said... Um, People have always said uh, Santino, the the miracle in Milan, was a great feel-good story, but also you don't want fans that are already kind of retarded and kind of maybe maybe a little bit drunk, maybe a little bit of the crowd frenzy and whatever. You don't want to... I mean, fans shouldn't break that barrier regardless. It's true. I don't know how I got onto this rant, but fans shouldn't break that barrier. It's true, but you also shouldn't be putting kayfabe things in place that emulate that because then you're gonna have some idiot that does it and try to use that as an excuse and that shouldn't be but it's the world we live in so either way random fangirl jumps breeze in the entrance way and yes I get it that he's supposed to be a heartthrob and that the women would be literally and figuratively throwing themselves at him but as a it's one of those things where I I'll take it if we if obviously I'm going on the hope that it was kayfabe if it was kayfabe, I don't particularly have a problem with it, but I could understand somebody else having a problem with it. Um, that's the best I got, and if it was a real incident, then uh, kudos to Breeze for brushing it off and having a match. Hideo, uh, Hideo Itami misses several kicks to start the match because he's operating from a place of frustration, and Breeze is taunting him and taunting him and taunting him. Uh, corner forearm by Breeze, corner clothesline by Itami, kitchen sink and a penalty kick, a drop kick by Itami, a series of kicks, and a punt. Breeze works the leg on the apron edge and then drags him back in the ring and drops an elbow on the knee. That, I don't know, you, you're using a weapon... And in this case, the weapon is the edge of the ring, which Taz, if he was still in WWE, would remind you is the hardest part of the ring. Somehow, that's not as effective to me as the idea of the pointy, pointy point of your elbow hitting the side of the muscle in your knee. I've, I've had uh, very, very mild knee issues myself, and it's a very weird, when your knee's not doing what it's supposed to do, it's a very weird, uncomfortable feeling. And then on top of that, it hurts. Uh, the weird, uncomfortable, okay, is it still working thing comes before the, oh my god, it hurts. So the elbow to the knee, it might, it might come and go for most people, but to me it's just, it's just a little, a little extra. And I mean, obviously it's part of the match. I'm not saying that, oh my god, he put him in danger or anything like that, but it's, it's more effective uh, to somebody like me who's got a little bit of a tiny inkling, like I say, minor, 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 nothing's ever like crippled me or anything like that, uh, but I have had minor like muscle issues in my knee, etc. And um, anybody that knows what that's like, having anything pointy take your knee in a bad direction, there's a whole lot of bad happening there. Forearm to the back of the head by Breeze is also not going to be uh, making of a good day. Breeze works the leg around the post and goes full Bret Hart with the figure four around the post. Now, to those of you 
who are not chuckling along with me right now, please know that Tyler Breeze is actually from Canada, so it works. Modified uh, single leg crab by Breeze. He puts him in a single leg crab, but he sort of folds the other leg under. It's not a figure four, and it's not a sharpshooter by any stretch of the imagination, although that would have fit in with my last Bret Hart reference. But it's just this modified single leg crab with a trap. If he's working on the leg, the, the, the psychology is there. I'm overanalyzing the hell out of it because of my personal experiences. You'll have to excuse me for a second. But it's really good, and it's one of those things, when you're used to seeing a sharpshooter, when you're used to seeing a figure four, um, the, the moment somebody modifies it, there's that split second that you're watching as a wrestling fan where you're like, did he fuck that up? Is he going to fuck that up? No, he's just doing something different. Okay, awesome. Boot by Atami, which is great because somebody that's just had their leg worked on is going to hit a boot. Supermodel kick by Breeze says, I'll be doing the kicking from now on. Both men trade some punches. There's a knee lift by Breeze. Hideo hulks up in the corner with a series of strikes and then... And then, I'm not sure if we've said it on this series before, but he hits, he revs up, and he get, lets loose with some say it loud and say it proud, the Daniel Bryan silly kicks. Oh yes. Also, just before this, he does tease the GTS. I know that's coming way later on in our NXT life, that's fine, but it, it's coming. And the crowd, the crowd, whenever he gets them up, because they know what I don't. I didn't know Kenta before uh, before he came to WWE. That's, that's my ignorance going to the surface. But people quickly told me that, hey, CM Punk may have gotten his finisher from this guy. So every time he teased, and this was a weekly thing as well. Every time he teased, he was going to do the GTS or I don't know. I don't know what it's called in Japan or in New Japan or in the words of Hideo Itami, I'm sorry. But I'm going to call it the GTS because that's what I know it as. Every time he put somebody up for the GTS, the crowd did that whole, ooh, oh, And that's so good because, as I said, as I've said through this series so far, NXT fans, the, the homegrown... Uh, the home team NXT fans in full sale, especially in the early days, came in the opposite of the wrestling fans that we see today. To be perfectly honest with you, they came in wanting to enjoy the show, wanting to have fun, wanting to do their part as fans to make the show better. So every time they bought into that tease, it made it better. Hesitation dropkick by Hideo Tommy, followed by a shotgun dropkick, and Hideo Tommy gets the win at 8 minutes 13 seconds. I don't know where either of them goes from here because I haven't looked forward to the next show just yet. And here's where my, my, my enthusiasm goes on a bit of a dip in this show. I will, I'm going to try and do what I do currently on NXT. NXT is my brand. I'm very, very biased, but I'm going to be honest with you when something doesn't quite hit. And I remember watching this back in the day, the feud between Baron Corbin and Bull Dempsey didn't hit at all. Bull Dempsey, as I've already said before, is Braun Strowman, or not Braun Strowman, um, Bronson Reed without charisma. He's just a big dude. And the whole story, there's a game of one-upsmanship between the two. If, if Baron Corbin was out there having a squash, uh, Bull, Bull Dempsey would be shown either at the monitor or at the at the stageway or even sitting in the audience. And vice versa, if he was having a squash, Baron Corbin would be sort of keeping an eye on things. And what I always forget, and uh, it's held through so far, Corbin was over. Like, I remember, Cor like, hating Corbin, because here he is downing all these exciting people that I've never seen before. It's, uh, it's with retrospect that I think, that's exactly the point. And good God he was over. And good God that, like, Corbin's gonna kill you chance. And the old music. And, yeah, he still had his hair, and he was a biker without a bike. But, like... Look at Corbin now. Look at like the, the, the owner or the GM of Raw and all the shit that he's done there. Now he's doing the King bullshit. Watch 
any segment that he's in now, watch the the reaction that he gets in this match. Because I don't, here's here's where I'll put my heart on my sleeve. I don't know who the face and heel is supposed to be in this match. Because Baron Corbin is kind of a dick. And, and Bull Dempsey is kind of a dick that I don't care about. So by process of elimination, I care about one of them. So I'm going to cheer for Corbin, right? If I'm in the audience and whatever. But... What is there to cheer from Bulldogs other than they are doing the whole two freight trains going at each other, whereas, you know, they really accentuated uh, Baron Corbin's boxing background at one point, and Bull Dempsey is just a shorter, stockier guy. That's not really two freight trains, is it? But they're in a no-DQ match because reasons. Anyways, uh... Corbin beat Bull in round one of the tournament, and then Bull cost him his match against Neville in round two as Retribution. As I say, really, really simple story build, along with their game of one-upsmanship that's been going on, I think, since the last pay-per-view. Baron Corbin had a match at the last pay-per-view Bull Dempsey was watching from the crowd. Um, super simplistic for a match that I don't really care about, but let's let's get into it and see what we get. Corbin, uh, Corbin charges the ring with some right hands to start, chases Bull around the ring, and up the rampway suplexes on the steel grill. Sorry. Suplexes on the steel by Bull. My rating is terrible. Excuse me. Corbin eats the post on the outside. There's a mud hole stomp on the floor by Bull. Bull clubs the chest and there's a huge, and I've got it in big capital letters, so I'm going to do the huge spine buster by Corbin. Bull tosses Corbin out of the ring once again, and uh, once he gets back in the ring once again, he goes for a big man Benoit-style headbutt. Corbin eats the steps on the outside as he tries to retreat once again. Bull comes at him with a chair. Corbin cuts off the chair shot with an end of days that sort of slips the mark a little bit, but the end of days is still an awesome maneuver. Corbin gets a pretty inoffensive win at 4 minutes 15 seconds, and then he just has the boss move at the end of the match where Bull is laid out in the center of the ring. He gets the chair. He doesn't hit him with the chair. He doesn't even do the typical thing of laying the chair over the guy and sitting. He just sits next to him like an animal that's like taken down its prey but not ready to eat yet. And it's just, the like I say, the, you'd have to go back. You wouldn't, if you were watching current day WWE, and why the hell would you be watching current day WWE? You wouldn't believe how over Corbin is in the very, very particular, very, very opinionated full sale crowd where we like the indie wrestlers. We, we get excited about the Zanes and the Owens and the Nevilles and all them coming in. It's, it's almost unreal that Baron Corbin is over in this atmosphere. It's awesome, and it's awesome to look back at and be reminded of something that I did not remember, but it's absolutely... Again, it just it's just going to slide into that category that's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger of great things on NXT and WWE. How did you fuck these things up? But I don't want to bring the I don't want to bring the uh, episode down too much, so we're not going to focus too much on that. Oh wait, it's Blake and Murphy versus the Lucha Dragons. None of them are in the company anymore. We, as I say, I'm, I'm recording this June fifth. We've just come off another huge round of of releases in the company, and the last one out of these four guys in this match that I'm about to talk about was Murphy, and Murphy just got let go. So Blake's gone, Murphy's gone, both of the Lucha Dragons are gone. I don't know what the hell happened to Sin Cara. When did we lose him? Kalisto was let go recently. Blake was let go recently. Murphy was let go extremely recently. So yeah. Let's talk about a match with four guys WWE didn't know what to do with, shall we? Uh, Blake and Murphy had only, had only been teaming for about six months at this point, and when I saw this, I'm not going to lie, when I saw this on the card, on the Wikipedia page, I was really hoping I was going to get to make some kind of Alexa Bliss reference, but she was not with them yet. They've only been teaming, as I say, for about six months. They've got the odd victory here and there under their belt, and somehow, 
on January 28th, they get a fluke victory over the Lucha Dragons. I'm going to try really hard not to say Lucha House Party because not the same thing. They get a really, really uh, fluke upset win over the Lucha Dragons on the January 28th episode of NXT for the championships. And it's such a surprise, it's such a shock, it's made as such an unbelievable thing that a rematch is immediately scheduled. And we get the match we have now. Now, Lucha Dragons not gonna fuck it up, I promise, have the same music as the Lucha House Party do now, which is part of what fucks me up, but also, Jesus Christ. Okay, I've said for a long time, and I'm gonna try and be open-minded in, in this, uh, basically based on what I said a second ago, I've said for a long time that Blake and Murphy were not a team that I was very excited about. If you go back to my old NXT reviews, I said these are not a team I'm excited about. I've gone as far as to say that Alexa Bliss was stuck with them, and I blame that partially for her never getting a shot at the NXT Women's Championship. That's my opinion. I have no way of proving that whatsoever. That is just me spitballing what I think makes sense. There's a certain amount, even though we talk about NXT, we talk about the women's division and how most of them are treated fucking awesomely when they're in NXT, but there are a few that they let through the cracks that never had a chance to have a championship and all that sort of thing. You're looking at your, your in my opinion, your Nikki Crosses, your Ruby Riots, your Alexa Blisses, etc. Um, but, yeah, because I'm, I am a fan of Alexa Bliss, and I think she's ridiculously underrated, I thought that sticking her with them, when it did happen, which it didn't tonight, so uh, I don't know why I'm mentioning it right now, uh, but I, I think that's part of why I didn't really give these guys a chance. But this match, not very long. I, again, I say uh, the, the takeover formula means that things don't overstay their welcome, and the match was good for four guys that are completely off the WWE map these days. Like, have, have, have a look, have a listen. Sin Cara and Murphy started the match. There's a dropkick by Sin Cara and some chops. A stomp by Blake. A gory special into some chops by Sin Cara. I can't even explain to you how this really goes, because you know the gory special, you basically wear the other person like a backpack, flips them around back into a standing position so we could hit him with some chops. Nice. I'm going to hold you here for a minute. Okay, it's time to put you down, but I'm still going to hit you. Awesome. Instagram, top rope victory roll by Sin Cara that looked like it hurt both of them. Arm drag by Kalisto, a double... Ah, uh, what was I going to say there? My writing is terrible. That's what I was going to say. There were a double kick by the Lucha Dragons in the center of the ring, a rear choke by Sin Cara, a double back suplex by Blake and Murphy, a mud hole. I just put B plus M in my notes because it's faster, and then I forgot what it meant. Oh, yes. Little behind-the-scenes look into my note-taking style, if you guys care. Which you probably don't. Mud hole stomp by Blake, a slingshot sent on by Murphy, a rear choke by Murphy, a corkscrew, and a spike... Uh, head scissor DDT thing by Kalisto. He used to do it all the time. It was like a setup for one of his finishers. It had a name. I don't remember. Head scissor by Kalisto. Pin reversal sequence to follow. Top rope crossbody by Sinkara. Single arm power bomb, which I always liked from Sinkara, not gonna lie. Brainbuster by Murphy. Frog splash by Blake. And Blake and Murphy win and retain their championships. The fluke, if you want to call it that, continues at 8 minutes, 10 seconds. And then while they're celebrating, we get the glitch on the screen, and it's it's a little bit of an interference, a little, a little bit of a message breaking through, and it says the takeover isn't over, it's only just begun. And, I didn't bother to look it up, I'm just going to throw out my guess here, right here, right now, because if I'm right, I'm right, and if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, and you guys will hold me accountable, it's fine. I believe this is the beginning of the introduction of Solomon Crow, known to everybody, including myself now, as Sammy Callahan, but the Solomon Crow hacker character and all that sort of thing, which is a weird little interruption on this show because we've got so much better stuff to talk about, do we not? Let's continue on. Because up next, we have a number one contenders match between Finn Balor and Adrian Neville. Now, 
I'm not going to keep harping on this a whole lot because this is not meant to be a dig at NXT or a dig at AEW show. But when the Wednesday Night War was still a thing, imagine even somebody suggesting Finn Balor, the current Prince version of Finn Balor that we have, taking on Pac. It would blow the roof off of everything because not it wouldn't happen because they were on different shows. But it's, again, it goes back to what I said at the beginning of the episode. It's It's the look back. Factor. Now, how did we get here? We got here through the tournament that I've been talking about in the first two other matches. We uh, we need a contender. We know that Zayn and Owens are going to fight tonight, but after that, whoever walks out champion is going to need a new contender. Are they not? They set up a tournament. Balor beat Axel and Hideo Itami to get here. Neville beat Tyson Kidd and Baron Corbin to get here. Also in the tournament were Breeze and Bold Dempsey, as I'm sure you could have put together. Um... Just two great guys, and it was it was what NXT did in the early day. It was I know where he's been. He he knows where I've been. We've walked similar paths. We've we've both been all over the world, and I respect him. But you know, I I need the win tonight, and it works. It do, it does work, especially when you've got guys that you just want to see wrestle. There are people that need a story. Um, there are people, uh, definitely in wrestling, there are people that need a story because, like, why would I care about them fighting? But I've always used the example to, uh, to indie fans. Um, I don't care who puts it on, whether AEW, WWE, NXT, Impact, ROH, NWA. I don't care who's putting it on. If somebody puts on a pay-per-view and they tell you, out of nowhere, the day before the show, the main event is going to be Daniel Bryan versus CM Punk, you're going to watch. You're going to watch. You're, you might do the smart thing and be, oh, let's just see how I can imagine them getting here. But you're not really going to care. And if you say you do, you're lying. I'll, I'll, I'll cater to the AEW fans for a second. They announce there's going to be Kenny Omega versus Seth Rollins. Or Kenny Omega versus Roman Reigns. The current, like, actually good Roman Reigns. Or, I don't know who you want it to be. Kenny Omega versus Ricochet. Are you going to turn around and say, well, I can't watch that because there's no there's no story? Well, the story is the tournament, for one thing. But also, the story is Finn Balor's pretty fucking cool. Adrian Neville's pretty fucking cool. And guess what? He's the demon again tonight, so the demon is pretty fucking cool. In the promo leading up to this, he does make a reference to, you know, Finn Balor has to paint himself up in war paint and all this kind of thing, and I've got to remind myself that he's just a man that's painted himself up and all that kind of thing. And they, they did that a lot with Balor in the beginning. And it... Everybody said that it made Balor look bad, but what it really does is it shows his opponent trying to psych themselves up. He's, he's, he's not a monster. He's not a demon. He's not a, you know, a, an extrasensory force. He's just he's just a guy in paint. I gotta remind myself that he's just a guy in paint. Like, so I think it shows the psyching out of of the opponent. I I don't just mean that to have have the counter argument, but I don't I don't agree in this case. Anyways, really really good wrestlers doing really really good wrestling makes a really really good match. Who knew? Headlock takeover by Neville to start a shoulder tackle and a side headlock. I will say, Neville's favorite thing in the world in this match, which is bizarre because, I mean, not currently now that he's Pac, now that he's the bastard, whatever, but like superhero Adrian Neville babyface um, NXT guy is a high flyer. The guy doesn't half love a headlock in this match. Let's go through this. Headlock takeover by Neville does a shoulder tackle and gets him back into a side headlock. Shoulder tackle by Balor because anything you can do, I can do better. Basement drop kick and another drop kick. Forearm by Neville, springboard and another headlock. Body shots by Balor, a takedown by Neville, a mud hole. Elbows to the head by Neville, a grounded side headlock. Uh, right hands by Balor, Neville kicks him off the apron. Outside in suplex by Neville, more elbows to the head and a headlock. Ba um... 
I can't read my writing. Boot by Neville, Insiguri off the top to the outside by Balor, suicide sent on by Balor, shotgun dropkick into the railing. As we get back into the ring, this is kind of dirty, kind again, like I said in the uh, in the Breeze match, a little uncomfortable to look at if you don't know that these are two pros that know what they're doing. Neville comes into the ring, but he's kind of bent over, he's kind of selling himself because he's just been like shotgun kicked through the rail. So he's walking around the ring and he's kind of bent over. Uh, Balor, as he goes to the top rope, he does the, the sort of the, the signal, the motion with his arms, like he's going to do a coup de gras, but in your head, as you're watching it, you're like, well, he's not going to do a coup de gras because the guy's not prone for a coup de gras. He does a mid-air coup de gras to the back of the head and neck of Neville and he just bends him in half in a way that's really, 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 really gross, but in the good way that stuff's gross, if that makes sense. Dragon Sleeper by Balor to follow up because, you know, you just kicked a guy in the neck, followed by a Pele. And a super kick by Neville, a snap German by Neville, and a second one with a bridge. Red arrow, only from the second rope, though. I don't really know why. Just a curious moment. Doesn't affect the match whatsoever. Don't know why I brought it up. Sling, Sling blade by Balor. The alliteration is killing me there. Followed by Illyriot, an inverted DDT, a front slam by Neville, and the red arrow is blocked by Balor. We're just not going to get a red arrow tonight. Shotgun dropkick by Balor at a coup de gras, and Finn Balor wins the number one contendership at 13 minutes, 25 seconds, and they have a nice show of respect afterwards. There's a there's a handshake and, and the whole fucking bit. It's good! This is just... I, I say, I keep saying it, and it sounds oversimple. Sorry, gotta keep the hat on because the hair is... is, is grotesque at this point. Uh, also, it's the it's the gimmick cat with the pretty sexy face. Moving on. Um, it sounds super simplistic to say, but as I said at the beginning of the match, I'm going to say it again now to drive the point home. Uh, it is the end of a tournament. It is for a number one contendership. It is towards the NXT Championship. But throw all that aside, as far as this night is concerned, Neville's a good wrestler. Balor's a good wrestler. You put good wrestlers in a ring, the match is going to be good. It's just, it is what it is. This could have just been a match on the card, and it would have been fine. Now, talking about something that you could just throw on a card, and most people would freak out about it. This is it. This is, this is NXT Women's Division mana from heaven. Is it not? It is the NXT Four Horsewomen Fatal 4-Way for Charlotte's NXT Women's Championship. Now, we're going to go through this match first, and then I'm going to take a minute, and I'm going to tell you why the Four Horsewomen of NXT are the best and worst thing to happen to the women's division of NXT, but going forward as well. So let's talk about this. It's uh, I'm going to do the opposite here of what I've been trying to do on the past couple of episodes. I'm not really going to do much of a how did we get here. Why are we beeping? Why is this a thing? I'm going to go live right now and turn my phone off because I'm just an idiot. There we go. Look at me go. Look at me go. I'm not even on the screen right now. Isn't that crazy? And we're back. Uh, in a couple months when this goes live, that's going to look really lame. I don't care. Um, super simple William Regal running the place NXT stuff. I've beat you. You've beat you. I've beat her. She's beat me. We've beat you two. Da 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 da. We're all kicking the shit out of each other. William Regal comes out and says, War Games! Or, wait a minute, he doesn't say War Games, that's another couple of years from now. He says, Fatal 4-Way, out the takeover. It's gonna be good, and obviously Charlotte doesn't want it because, you know, she doesn't have the championship advantage. We have, I totally forgot about this too, we have the uneasy alliance, or the ending of the alliance between Sasha Banks and Becky Lynch, thank God, uh, and Bailey's Bailey, and it's 
it's the four women that have the most focus. It's the four four women that basically run the show as far as, as NXT goes. So eventually, all four of them that have all fought each other are going to fight each other in a fatal four-way. This was, I will say, on the positive note, this was NXT's version of the SmackDown 6 back in the day where you could just pick up any combination and you'd probably get a good match. And I understand that it does have some issues that we're going to talk about after the match. All four brawl in the center of the ring to start. Charlotte takes down both Becky and Banks. A face buster on the apron by Banks and a double team by Banks and Becky. Elbows for everybody by Bailey who gets tossed into the corner by Becky and Banks. And then Banks breaks herself away, or sorry, Becky breaks herself away from Banks. The alliteration is killing me once again. With a pump handle suplex clear across the ring, followed by a leg drop. Not only followed by a leg drop, but a leg drop that gets a better than Hogan chant from the crowd. Oh, yes. Dragon screw by Becky and a modified Indian deathlock. Becky and Banks brawl. <laughs> the alliteration is killing me. Banks misses the double knees, which makes me laugh a whole lot because I'm apparently a bad person. Dropkick by Becky, neckbreaker by Charlotte, and a quarter tackle. Stiff forearms to Banks by Charlotte, and a spear to Becky. Codebreaker by Bailey. Charlotte eats the post on the outside shoulder first. Banks goes from a pin to a pin to a pin to a pin, trying to pin all of them because she thinks all of them are down because, well, if I just keep pinning people, I'm going to get what I want. It's not Vince's office. That's not how it works. Um... Suplex by Bailey and a corner tackle and a top rope Rana, which is nice. Bailey to belly on Charlotte and Bailey and Becky brawl to the outside. Oh my god, the bees. Oh my god, the bees. Suicide crossbody on all three women by Charlotte. Exploder by Becky on Charlotte, followed by some uppercuts. A German by Bailey. A second rope Bailey to belly, but Banks throws Charlotte off the pin. Or sorry. Banks throws Bailey off the pin. The bees are killing me. And she puts in a bank statement and she just cranks on it for a while. And then I don't know what this was. Okay, this is not me taking a shit on Sasha. I literally don't know what this ending is. She has her in the bank statement. She gets close to the ropes. She rolls it over and gets her back in the bank statement. And then, for reasons, breaks the bank statement and just pins her. And gets the win. Gets the win at 12 minutes, 28 seconds, ending Charlotte's 258-day title reign as NXT Women's Champion. At the end of the match, Banks cries... Yay, and that's what she does. Now, oh, this is going to make me not popular. I, should I say it? Should I keep it to myself? Should I say it? Should I keep it to myself? Here's the problem with the Four Horsewomen of NXT. First of all, it was never an actual thing. It was a thing talked about behind the scenes. It was a thing talked about behind the fans. It's like the click. And, and yes, we know that the click might as well be a thing now. But the click was never a thing. There was never a group. I mean, they did it in impact, but we don't need to talk about that. Um, they were never a group. When the when the curtain call happened, that was like two of them fighting the other two, right? And it's the same thing here. The four horsewomen are referred to after the fact, almost. When they came to the main roster, they were referred to, oh, look at all these, these great women we have in NXT. They were, they were known as the four horsewomen. No, no, they weren't. There was never a four horsewomen group, but that's not my real problem. It's really not. It... You you want to bring something that was behind the scenes. You want to you want to bring something that was just understood among the fans and among the backstage and among the other wrestlers. And you want to bring that to the forefront and mention it in in the uh, on the platform of kayfabe and make it a thing uh, retroactively. I'm kind of okay with that because you're paying a little bit of respect to the to the audience. You're you're admitting that 
you know, you know the crowd isn't an idiot. They know what's up. They know that, you know, they're all the friends in real life and all that sort of thing. It's it's a murky area, and it gets into his, oh my god, it's killing kayfabe type areas. It's muddy. And it could be problematic depending on what you're trying to do story-wise. I get that. And that is a point that I could make. My bigger problem is, is this. I understand why these four are credited with being... Actually, I don't. I don't understand why these four are credited with being the ones that started the women's division. They are four of the ones that started the, the, the women's like uprising or whatever. Let's not forget that the Give Divas a Chance hashtag started during a Bella Twins match. First of all. Second of all, let's talk about the fact that these, these four picked up the, the gauntlet that was laid down by Emma, now known as Tennille Dashwood, and the former page, Soraya Knight. So if you're going to say who started it, you need to say it's at least those six. But here's the thing. You chose these four to be the, the ones that went forward, and you said, hey, here are the best. Now, you guys know what I think about Sasha Banks, but fine. She has an appeal to some people. Charlotte is one of the best women's wrestlers in the world. You can cry about that if you want, but it's true. Uh, Becky Lynch grew into one of the coolest characters, and Bailey was the female John Cena that they wanted at the time. I get all of that. I get why these four women were put into the position that they were put in and I, on the pedestal they were put on. The problem is they did it so well slash overkilled that it meant by proxy every other woman on any other uh, roster didn't seem as as good. It was, you know, whoever else was on the roster was going to face Becky Lynch. But yeah, but Becky Lynch is going to get back and face Charlotte or Sasha or somebody. Or, you know, somebody else could be picking on Bailey, but they're not going to pick on Bailey the way Sasha picked on Bailey. And even as far as going to the main roster, I mean, it did it did help a little bit that Bailey stayed back and the other three went up and the other three, but the other three were immediately made into the, into the main eventers. They deserve to be main eventers, but they were introduced on night one as this is the women's story. These are the women that are driving the thing forward. And it just put everybody else in the shadow. If you don't believe me, if you don't believe me, Look at mainstream WWE right now. Look at Raw and SmackDown. Charlotte is in the is is still prominent in the women in the Raw women's title picture. Asuka only held the Raw women's title because Becky Lynch went off and had a baby, and I'm not digging that. Trust me. Congratulations to Becky and Seth Rollins. I hope their them and their family are are doing great. But if Becky hadn't gotten pregnant. The, the belt would still be on her. It would be Charlotte and 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 Becky going at it, which I don't have a problem with. But then, you know, you, you might not have the Rhea Ripley push. You might not have the Oscar push. You might not have anything. You turn over to SmackDown and you've got... Okay, yeah, the idea is we're pushing Bianca Belair right now. And you guys know what I think about Bianca Belair, but at least it's somebody new. She won the title off of off of Sasha Banks at WrestleMania. Didn't deserve to be there, but whatever, it's fine. And now she's fighting Bailey for it. Now, again... Realistically, I don't have a problem with Bailey at all. I don't have a problem. Well, I have a problem with Sasha Banks, but not in this case. But it means that they put them on this pedestal here, and they're still on that pedestal now. And they've never, they've never through NXT, Raw, SmackDown, wherever these women have gone, these four, three of whom that I have a lot of respect for, and this is this is where I have to be really careful how I say this. Three of them I have a lot of respect for, and also Sasha Banks. But wherever they go everybody else is immediately 
not the four horsewomen. I mean, even when they started bringing in the MMA chicks, it's like, well, clearly they have to go up against our best representatives, and these four are our best representatives. Even though half of them are face, half of them are heel, and it doesn't make any sense. Well, well, who else are we going to put up against the MMA women? There's nobody else because they're not the four horsewomen. I think that's a huge, huge problem. And the little icing on the cake for this argument that I'm going to make, for people out there that get on me for my opinion of Sasha Banks and the fact that I think she's been overpushed and whatever... Let's look at tonight. These are the four women that you have said from now on in NXT, Raw, SmackDown, in all everybody in the WWE umbrella, these are the four women that matter. And when you put the four of them in the ring at once, these are the four women that matter, who'd they give the win to? Never mind all the accolades she got after that. These four are the ones that matter, but out of the out of the only four that matter, Sasha Banks is the one. Please do not tell me that Sasha Banks has been underutilized in WWE. This was a great match, however. Even Sasha Banks' participation in this match was great. Uh, the early stages of what would be kick-ass Becky Lynch in this match. Babyface Bailey here having a couple of angry little moments are, are the briefest glimpse of heel Bailey that we have now. And Charlotte, then, now, forever, yes, I, 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 yes, I did it, is one of the best women's wrestlers out there. She's the one that needs to bring in Tessa Blanchard. They need to fight. That needs to be a WrestleMania main event. This is fantastic. I don't want to rant on this and just leave it as a rant, but the it, it goes back to the intro that I did to this episode. The four horsemen of NXT, with the, with the amount of my respect that they have collectively between the three of them, uh, are the best and worst thing that ever happened to NXT. That's it. That's all. And we end off uh, before I go into another not so uh, not so easily edited cut in the video. I, I wouldn't normally mention an ad on uh, on a pay per view that I'm reviewing from seven years ago, but there was an ad for that year's upcoming WrestleMania. And the only reason I mentioned that is because they you do the uh, the countdown thing. It was like 46 days until WrestleMania or something like that. And the song that they were using was the one by Skylar Gray because Skylar Gray was going to be performing that year at WrestleMania. And the only reason I'm mentioning it, the entirely self-serving reason that I'm mentioning it is because she's singing her song, Phoenix. Oh yes, my biases, my biases. Let's talk about the main event. And that main event was way more exciting for other people than it was for me at the time because I didn't know anything about the history. I didn't know anything about outside of WWE. My, my view was pretty limited. The main event is Kevin Owens versus Sami Zayn for the NXT Championship. Now, how did we get here? Well, if you were watching the last episode of NXT Rewind, you would have known that TakeOver Our Evolution had the debut of Kevin Owens to start off the show. And at the end of the show, we had him turning on brand new NXT champion Sami Zayn. And... Uh, that was pretty much it. On the January 14th episode of NXT, Sami Zayn successfully defended his title against uh, Adrian Neville. Owens attacked him after the match. The following week, Sami Zayn basically came out shouting demands at William Regal, saying he's not going to have any matches, he's not going to do anything on the show unless his next match is against Kevin Owens. Kevin Owens came out and this is when he was doing the prize fighter thing. He's like, it's not personal, man. It's business. If I have to destroy you to make more money for my family, I need to, I need to be a good dad. I need to support my kids and all that. I fight for prizes. If you want to fight me, it's going to be at TakeOver, and it's going to be for that title on your shoulder. It was really good. The, the, the prize fighter thing was, A, it was a psychosis type thing because he, he was either in his own head or it was him being really, really condescending to his opponent, or both, and he balanced them out so well that it was really, really good. Now, as I say, for me, I didn't know 
what to expect from Owens and Zane, who had very recently been Generico and Steen. I still haven't really seen very much of them. All I knew was that everybody and their mother was like, oh, go watch this ladder match where he package pile drives him through the ladder. Okay. One spot. And I, I'm a hypocrite because before Ember Moon debuted in NXT, uh, my good co-host Guapo sold me just by saying she does a stunner from the top rope. So I, I shouldn't be... I shouldn't be so dismissive of a spot, but um, you know these guys have a long-standing feud. Would you would you believe that Sami Zayn used to be a luchador named El Generico? And I'm like, okay. And then I looked it up, and I didn't really do anything more from that because I did still, especially then, I still do it now. I was like, <coughs> well, I'm an NXT fan, <coughs> and if I'm going to have an opinion to them while I'm watching them on NXT, it's going to be of what they do in NXT. But this is one of those matches where I did sit back then, and even today as I was watching it back again, I could sort of sit back and have that feeling of, alright, this is what they were talking about, this is good. Because it was the, um, another thing that I've talked about here a lot, you can always tell when people are friends, you can always tell when people are having a good time, and you can always tell when people have worked together for a long time, and it's it's apparent in this match and they they go harder on each other uh the wrestlers always say you know you go harder when you're working with your friends and it, it's definitely true here and owens and zane I, I loved owens the minute that i saw him because here's this like no fucks given i'm definitely not your your 6'5 275 kendall wrestler i'm out here in basically my gym clothes and i'm gonna fuck some people up and as i say sammy zane at this point was still like the most babyface like thing ever people loved him but people also loved kevin owens and that was the thing as well is people in nxt especially like i say back then that that world famous first couple of years full sale crowd they they loved the heels and they are sorry they loved the baby faces and they respected the heels and it was it makes for a cool atmosphere when these guys come down to the ring there's the uh, there's the swell of the fight Owens fight and the ole 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 chants before they lay a finger on each other and it's just, it's so cool to see. The only thing that I'm gonna say and yes it's a nitpick and yes I'm gonna be an asshole about it until they change them in like another year or so is the big ugly square NXT championship but that's fine. Owens bails to psych out uh, Zayn to start the match. He does a long sort of walk around the ring. He's about to be counted out. Rolls back in, rolls back out again. And Sami Zayn does that thing that any pissed off high flyer does that I always love. Um, you know, the referee tries to keep him in control in the ring, turns to get Owens back in the ring. They always lean lean between the second and third rope to talk to the guy and try to get him back in so that the high flyer can run, jump over them, and do like a suicide dive or a suicide senton onto Owens on the ramp way, which is fine because that takes us to the outside. There's right hands by Zayn as they get back in the ring. There's some mounted corner punches by Zayn, a snake eyes by Owens. Corner clothesline by Owens, a hard Irish whip into the turnbuckle. Right hands by Owens, kicks in the back and forearms. Front slam by Owens and a rear choke with a post to the knee. Knees to the back by Owens and he's working the back and it's good. Body shots by Zayn as he tries to escape the working over of the midsection. Sleeper by Owens who hangs Zayn over the ropes by his, his gut diaphragm area. More right hands to the gut by Owens, Lariat out of the ring by Zane, back to brawling on the outside. There's a blue thunder bomb by Zane when they come back inside. Super kick by Owens, and he hits that wicked cannonball that he used to do all, his, all the time. And then he went to do, and I was... I don't. I never knew what to think about this, because it's kind of like Hideo teasing the GTS earlier on in the night and not knowing if they were ever actually going to let him do it. 
he always used to tease the fans that knew him back then for doing the package pile driver that he was going to do the package pile driver, but it had already been leaked, it had already been in the dirt sheets or whatever that WWE didn't want him to do the package pile driver. So I was like, okay, if they're definitely not going to let you do it, do not tease the fans with it because they're going to get sick of that eventually. But he shuts me right up because instead of doing a package pile driver, he does a package Ushigoroshi. So basically, pile driver over your knee on your slanted neck, because so, that's that's so much safer. It's like the um, it's like the Brock Lesnar Randy Orton scenario. Yeah, we can't possibly let Randy Orton blade. That's ridiculously unsafe. Just hit him with your elbow until you open up his head. So much better. Dropkick by Zayn, a half and half suplex, and a hangman by Owens. A swanton by Owens is blocked by Zayn, and I never understood this. I understand the whole anybody does a high flying move, you bring your knees up, it's going to hurt their ribs. But look at the size disparity between Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens. Now they're both athletes, and I'm not I'm not insulting either guy. But Owens is a big dude compared to Sami Zayn. You want to bring it up, you want to do the block, you want to get the requisite. Uh, damage to his midsection that's going to happen with a block, but is that not in the real world going to fuck up your legs? I, I question the logic just a little bit. I, I know what it's supposed to do, and I know I'm nitpicking where I'm not supposed to nitpick. When you bring your knees up in wrestling, it means the other guy gets the damage, not you. It's like one punch takes down a wrestler for a second, takes down a referee for an hour. These are the rules that we just accept in wrestling, but there's no way that that doesn't shove your kneecaps up into your throat or something. <laughs> Just doesn't make sense. Corner Exploder by Zayn, because clearly he didn't die. Uh, moonsault to the outside, and Z Sami Zayn hits his head on the ramp. And this is where the entire story changes, because they slow down to a crawl. The, the commentary sells it really well. Sami Zayn gets back into the ring, and he can't find his feet. He goes to take a step forward to do the haluva kick, and he sort of stumbles. Pop-up powerbomb by Owens. Both men start throwing hands. Zayn is clearly throwing, like, some wild, you know, just nothing like wet bags of sand punches uppercut by Owens a beat down and here it comes here it comes and this is where like the death of Sami Zayn comes in because all the way around the ring you got like medical staff and they're trying to pull Sami to the side they're trying to get him to like look at them they're trying to get him to, hey lock eyes with me hey try to say something whatever every time but Owens hits him with a powerbomb and another powerbomb and another powerbomb and another powerbomb. And after the fourth powerbomb, the, the medical staff on the outside are screaming at the referee, like, you can't, you, you need to stop this. And as he goes for the fifth powerbomb, the referee stops him, the referee basically tackles him into the corner, and must, like, you don't hear what he's saying, obviously, but the idea is basically, you, you need to stop, you've won. And Kevin Owens becomes the new NXT champion through referee stoppage, because Sami Zayn cannot continue the fight at 23 minutes and 27 seconds. And the the crowd hates it as much as they're supposed to. The commentary are like, what the fuck did we see? Because um, you didn't have this very much. Like, you, you could have this, you could have had, you could have had like a knockout or something like that, but just straight out, you are the new champion because the other guy's dead was the end of this. And I thought it was it was so cool. And the fact that they pulled the trigger on something like that in the main event for the main title and everybody just worked so well on it and these guys and the referee and even the guy like whoever was like playing the medical staff on the outside, everybody played their part perfectly to make that. But it does. It switches the match stops when he hits the ramp. 
uh, when he hits his head on the ramp on the outside. And from that moment on in the match, the, it's just, like, as I said a second ago, it's just the death of Sami Zayn. And it plays out so well. It plays out like almost Shakespearean. It plays out almost like a, like a, like a play, like a drama, like a sacrifice, however you want, whatever dramatic word you want to use for it. It just comes out so well. And you see Kevin Owens when he's posing with the title and he's, he's tearing up, but he's not, he's not tearing up in the way that, that I was making fun of Sasha Banks for a second ago because Sasha Banks cries like she breathes. She's like Cody Rhodes that way. Uh, he's tearing up in this sort of almost, I'm very justified in what I just did, but oh my God, look how much it took. And <clears throat> if, it, if it was any farther, it would be an almost questioning himself, but, but it's definitely not a questioning himself. It's a, holy crap, I, I, I did it and look what I had to do to get it done. And he, there's a whole lot, he does a whole lot with his, with his face. Like wrestlers are all, are never portrayed as the as the best actors in the world, but there's a there's a complexity to how he pulls off his reaction to winning, because it looks like the fact that he's now the champion is secondary to I wasn't done beating him up, and that's such an awesome psychological story for the heel Kevin Owens character. Now you see Kevin Owens now, and he's the babyface, and he's like their mini Austin right now, and that's fine too, and he's playing that off great too, but. Absolute, I'm going to destroy you, and I'm not even going to pretend to feel bad about it. Prick NXT Kevin Owens is awesome. And this this show was awesome. And despite I had a big old rant about the uh, the Four Horsemen of NXT and what I think about that, but please note that I did say the best and worst. Because the best, there, there's the parts of it that are the best and the parts of it that are, are the worst. And I hope you guys uh, take it to heart what I said on, on both sides of that of that statement. And yes, even though I don't like Sasha Banks, uh, she did contribute to what the four horsewomen are, were, and the, the effect going forward. Um, as I say, amazing number one contender match with, with Neville and Balor, and that's the undercard, and then you get this with this ending. Go go check it out. It's an underrated show. You've got the, the Bull Dempsey Baron Corbin match on there that doesn't need to be there. But even the opener, even the Breeze Atomi match, where it's like, here's two guys that are pissed off that they lost the tournament, was still a pretty kick-ass match, and he made me squirm with the knee thing. It's 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 all good. And as I say, we're, we're not out of full sale yet, so we're still doing the elevated episodes of NXT. It's still that condensed two hours. It's a nice digestible chunk. And in a few more shows, we are going to be talking about leaving full sale, which means we're going to be talking about Brooklyn. And I have a lot to say about the move from Full Sail to Brooklyn, because that's going to be a lot of fun. I hope you guys are enjoying this. I'm really enjoying it. I hope you'll notice um, in my enjoying of it that I'm tripping over my words, because I want to get every single bit of uh, positivity and excitement for these shows to you guys that I possibly can. And is that going to mean that I trip over my own tongue? Yes, it absolutely is, but I hope you guys will excuse me. You guys have excused me for 10 years already. What's a couple more minutes on one more video? Thank you very much. I've been Spaz, your YWC Reality Check. Subscribe up there, talk down there, start a conversation. Keep all these conversations going. Don't be a stranger. I'll talk to each and every last one of you later, but for right now, I am tagging out. Bye, guys.